that I've learned from children is that children value presence. They understand presence and they understand it in a way that I think us adults tend to forget. I want to give you some examples and some of the young parents will understand what, what we mean by this. Uh, Jarena, um, our youngest daughter, is entering into a time now where she understands that when mom goes away, something is wrong. And she does this very sad whimper and her face kind of contorts into this like, it's just, it's so, so cute. Um, and she's almost like, she has no words, of course, but she's like crying out, Oma, Oma, come back, come back. She understands, right? Um, kids, you might understand this when, when something doesn't happen the way that you want it to. Some of you, I think some of you might have this experience where you just want to go away. Like you just want to run away. You don't want to be around people right now. So you just run away. Amara does this. Uh, when Amara doesn't like that something is happening, sometimes she just runs away. She doesn't want to be around anybody. She wants to be alone. Does this make sense to some of you kids? Um, the other example I thought of with kids is this thing that I'm sure you think is terrible that your parents do to you. Some of you may experience this, the timeout. Do some of you know what this thing is, this, this timeout thing? Um, kids, it's interesting because we understand that when we get a timeout, um, that we are actually being, uh, presence is being taken away from us. We're being told to go somewhere else, um, to be by ourselves, to perhaps think about this thing that, that gave us the timeout. Um, to get some space from people because maybe you're fighting and you just need to be separated, right? Kids understand presence from a very early age because this dynamic of presence is, it's almost like it's sewn into us. It's, it's just a thing that we, that we understand, that we need. Um, and when it's taken away, we know that something is wrong. For the next six weeks, we are going to be going through a series called Seeds. And this series is really uh, a way for us to introduce um, six kind of organizing values that we want to reflect on and engage with moving forward as Bethel community. Um, these are things that um, have been discerned by Erina and I through conversations with folks um, at Bethel Community, through reading the history of Bethel Community, through praying and reflecting on what does it mean for us to continue this work of revitalization. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking through these six themes. Um, and as we kind of introduce our discipleship kind of engagement, our discipleship journey program, whatever word you want to use it, these six things are going to be kind of how we get some shared language about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus in these days in our neighborhood and neighborhoods. The first one is presence, and it is the presence of God. We are going to be talking about the presence of God. And I just want to say that uh, it is very hard to preach about the presence of God in one sermon because the entire 
Bible speaks to the presence of God. So I'm going to just tell you now that we are going to get a snapshot of what the presence of God is like. I want you to trust me and talk to me about this. I want you to trust me that the snapshot is indicative of the whole story, but it's not the whole story. Um, And we're going to be talking about the presence of God from the perspective of a very controversial character. I'm going to call him Levi the looter because Levi was a bad, bad man to some. So I want you to bear with me as we uh, journey in talking about Levi the looter. And my hope is that as we engage um, this, that we will begin to see or continue to see what it means for God to be with us. What does that mean? How is that good news? And what does that mean about our presence, right? If God's presence is what it is, then what does that say about our presence in the world? So I want to give us a tiny bit of context just to set things up. We are in Luke 5, and earlier on in Luke 4, Jesus kind of announced in a bold way um, that his presence was an announcement to all creation and to all history uh, that God is available, that God is near. And this kind of blew people's minds. Um, God, um, Jesus especially wanted to announce that, that in his presence, he was announcing God's good news to the poor. Um, And this message got him almost executed before he even started his ministry. They threw him off a cliff. They wanted to stone him. It was, they were trying to throw him off the cliff. They were stoning him. And then eventually he just kind of walked away. Don't ask me how, I don't know. He just did it. Um, And so as he kind of continues his ministry, he begins to form a community of people literally to be near him. He gives this invitation that we see in the scripture this morning. Follow me. Follow me. Come be with me. I want to be with you. Be led by me. Share space and time with me. Um, And so when we get to this interaction with Levi, he's done a little bit of that inviting, follow me. He's also done some pretty incredible things to demonstrate what it means for God to be near, what, what God's presence does and what God's presence is like. So here we go. Here we have Levi, Levi, the Jewish tax collector, okay? And I just want to give a review of what a tax collector was back then. So tax collectors were Jewish bureaucratic representatives of Rome, okay? These folks lived in Rome, and Rome did not generally enjoy the Jews. They tolerated them. They tolerated them as much as the Jews would stop uh, basically holding um, demonstrations and protests of their own oppression. And so every time there was a demonstration or protest, they would just kill a bunch of Jews and then life would just keep going until there would be another one. And then they'd kill a bunch of Jews. Right. And one of the ways that they suppressed Jewish kind of success is by collecting taxes and sending their own people to collect the taxes. So Levi was a Jewish guy collecting Roman government taxes. Um, He sat at a booth. People had to come to the booth and they paid him the taxes. Now, what's interesting is that Rome said, we need this money. And then Rome didn't actually pay the tax collectors anything, right? They didn't give them a salary. 
they relied on the tax collectors to collect their salary. So essentially, the tax collectors set their own salary. And this is where, in addition to them being agents of this oppressive government, they also hated the tax collectors because all that money they took off the top and made themselves rich off of, that was just what they decided. It was arbitrary. They said, this is my salary. I'm going to take it. And so people didn't really know, but they felt like, oh, that tax collector is just getting richer and richer and richer. (laughs) What's happening? We're still very poor. (laughs) They knew that this tax collector, these tax collectors were taking advantage of them. And so tax collectors had a special place in the community. You'll notice that in the scripture, um, it says tax collectors and sinners Uh, which is who uh, Jesus ended up having this banquet with, that's because tax collectors were especially terrible in the Jewish community. They were basically considered traitors, absolute abject traitors. We want nothing to do with you. We've rejected you. You've rejected us. You are not our people. We don't want to be a part of any of you. And so this is Levi. This is is Levi. He has been reduced to being the empire's tool to further the oppression of his own people who have rejected him. This is Levi. This is the Levi that Jesus draws near to eventually in this moment. And so what I want to do is talk about kind of things that I observed about what it means for Jesus to draw near to Levi. What does it mean that Jesus is near to Levi? And we're going to talk about the ways that Jesus declares and Jesus invites. Jesus declares a couple things and he invites Levi into a couple things, okay? So first, the first thing is that Jesus declares God's desire. Jesus declares his desire for Levi. Inasmuch as Jesus with his own body draws near to Levi and Jesus isn't dumb, Jesus knows exactly who Levi is. Jesus is saying, I want to be near you. I want to be around you. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. I want to spend time with you. Follow me, he says. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't seem to be afraid of or put off by the way that Levi is currently totally extorting his own people. This is not a thing that affects his invitation to follow him. Jesus doesn't spend time giving Levi sort of a morality lesson before saying, follow me. Jesus doesn't spend time trying to convince Levi that what he's doing is wrong right now and therefore he should follow, you should follow me. Jesus just says, follow me. And Levi does. Because I'm willing to bet that it has been a long time since somebody actually said to Levi, I want to be around you. I want to share space with you. His whole community has rejected him and they know why he's being a tax collector because he's poor just like the rest of them. 
Everyone is aware of who he is and what he's doing. They've all made a decision to shun him. They've all made a decision to say, God is not near to you. And Jesus has made a decision to say, no, 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 God is near to you. Follow me now, today, get up. It's time. And Levi's like, yes. Because my friends, have you ever really just needed someone to invite you out of something? Have you ever just really needed someone to just say, you just come, just come on. I don't have a lesson for you. I'm not trying to tell you how to just, just come on. I want to be with you today. Jesus declares his desire for Levi and then invites Levi into this broader community a broader community of freedom, generosity, love, and justice. Because Jesus has already extended this invitation to others. And he's extended this invitation particularly by freeing people from sickness, by freeing them from poverty, by declaring to them that there is a new story, a fulfilled story that they can live by, by declaring to them that they can be people that can love each other freely and fully and share with each other generously. These are truly what Jesus is trying to create as a free people. Right? People that are beginning to experience the kind of commitment and generosity that, that, that maybe they haven't seen in a while, if ever. Right? People whose voices have been silenced and discarded by the empire or by their own people who now have a voice in this Jesus-centered community. And Jesus is beginning to translate to them what it means for their experience of belonging to be the shape of a community. Jesus is inviting them into a community shaped by God's desire for them. And then Jesus goes home with Levi, right? Levi is so excited. He, he has not experienced anyone declare their pleasure or their desire for him in so long. He's so excited. He throws a party. And he throws a party with all his tax collector and sinner friends. And you know what? Jesus comes and the Pharisees are angry. And we must understand that the Pharisees' anger is completely legitimate. So you see, the Pharisees were formed because they had a rebellion and their rebellion went kind of well. And the Greek government at the time said, okay, we'll give you back some of the temple. Just stop making so much violence. And they said, okay. So the Pharisees were formed as this community trying to revitalize Jewish life. And they were doing it so strictly because they needed their people to understand this is what it means for us to be God's people in this season. So they had had practice of doing this for at least 300 years. And so the Pharisees are this very devout community of people trying to figure out what God is like. And one of the principles is we need to be around people who are fomenting that kind of loyalty and devotion to God. And one of the most intimate places that you are around people is around the table, around the dinner table. This is where relationships are formed, where bonds of loyalty are formed. You are eating with people. You're in a vulnerable position. They didn't have chairs back then. They laid on the ground and they ate with one hand. 
reclining on their side. Like this is a vulnerable position to be with each other. And so the Pharisees are like, how could you choose to be vulnerable and loyal to these people who have been disloyal to us? What is with this Jesus? And Jesus essentially is saying, these are my people as well. These are my people. These are my people. These people who actually, yes, yes. I mean, he calls them, he calls them sinners, right? And we'll get to what that means, right? Like he's understanding of who they are and what they're, where they come from and, and what they're doing and how they're oriented towards life. And Jesus basically says, these are my people. Before I make an invitation to any sort of life change, I need them to know that I, that, that I want to belong to them and that they belong to me, right? That they belong before I make any invitation to repentance. And so he chooses with his body to be in Levi's community. And this is so important for me because in these days, I think one of the ways that I feel encouraged is to know the ways that God is with my people. And I will tell you that there are people that literally are, are, are telling others that we have been, um, you know, that black folks have been whatever, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, left by God because we've made these decisions. It's an interesting narrative that I see occasionally. And the only thing that, that I tend to see um, or the thing that I tend to see that, that kind of counters that is the way that folks love each other. <laughs> Right. Like people are talking about all these gains around justice. And yes, that those things are encouraging. But to be perfectly honest, the thing that I see in the streets is people giving their lives for each other in small and not small ways. And when I see that kind of love and sacrifice, I know that something else is going on. I know that something else is going on. When I hear my activist friends from other places talk about the ways that youth are leading and giving their lives for each other and caring for each other in the midst of this movement, I know that God is committed to our people. This has been so important for me to dwell on in the midst of having our stories of oppression told and retold and retold and retold in this season, that God cares about our people and sees us. And the final invitation that Jesus gives Levi and his whole community, interestingly enough, is an invitation away from sin. And I just need to tell you that if you want to define sin, you should probably define it in context. And in this context, there are a few layers to explore, right? We talked about Levi being an agent of the empire. We talked about Levi being isolated from his people. We talked about a little bit about what that might mean in his relationship to God, right? For Levi, there's at least three areas of sin, three areas of separation from God that we might want to talk about. One is in his relationship to empire, because literally the empire was paying him to extort his own people. The empire was saying, 
we just need you to collect the taxes. We don't care how you get paid. Levi's relationship to his own community was one that was characterized by loneliness and isolation and shunning based on his extorting extorting of his own community. That sense, that loneliness, that isolation, that is not God's desire for anyone. And then you've got Levi's relationship with God, which I don't think we can discern directly. I will say. But, you know, in as much as Levi felt separated from his own people, I would be willing to bet that as he was thinking about that separation and thinking about their oppression, that Levi was thinking about, well, has God left me? Has God left us? We have been sitting here oppressed and poor. Where is God? I don't know. And I don't know how to solve our oppression. So I'm going to do it myself. I don't know about anybody else's family, but my family is not going to go poor today. And then Jesus makes this invitation, right? When he calls sinners to repentance, he is calling people who feel like they need to have some sort of unhealthy relationship with the empire. Turn around. You don't need to be extorted by the empire in order to know that you have value. Jesus sees Levi and others' relationship to their own community and says, turn around. You do have a people. You are not alone. You are not alone. There is a community of people trying to be faithful and just and generous and loving. Turn around. And then Jesus sees Levi's relationship to God and says, turn around because God sees you. Because God hasn't forgotten about you. The presence of God, the presence of God, my friends, what a thing. As we begin our journey through what it means to be um, a church, what it means to be the people of God. Um, We are um, defined by God's presence. And in Levi's story, there are invitations for us this morning. Um, And I want to just sort of talk about a couple things as we close. Um, The first is this, God's presence is not earned, but it does invite us to be present and to respond. Um, in fact, Levi did not, not earn God's presence. (laughs) Levi was actively living a life where it would be hard to discern God's presence. Um, and yet Jesus comes near and just says, follow me. And it takes Levi being attentive to Jesus and saying, okay, I see you. You are making an invitation to me. I want to follow you. And so I want us to be paying attention to the ways that God is trying to get our attention in this season. You know, it may be as huge as a burning bush and it may be as small as a sweet whisper. But I believe that in these days, God is trying to get our attention, asking for our presence as God draws near to us. The second thing is that God cares about our community and invites us into the community of God's people. 
we have various identities and backgrounds, things that we would say kind of form our community or communities. And Jesus's intent is to be in those places. Jesus isn't trying to just pull you out of a thing and take you to church. No, no, no. Jesus is actually trying to come into your place to communicate Jesus's love and at the same time invite you into a community where that is being worked out as well. It is both and in these days. It is not one or the other. Sometimes I fear the ways that we kind of choose one of those options because we feel despairing about the other. But I want to invite us that in the ways that we have communities, God wants to be there. And in the ways that God is still forming God's church to be God's people in the world, God wants us to be there as well. It's messy and complicated. Let's wade into the mess together. And the final thing is that God's presence is meant to set us free from the oppressive systems that attempt to organize us towards evil. Um, And I guarantee you that one read of Exodus will make this perfectly clear to you, that, that, um, that God was not interested in God's people being stuck in hundreds and hundreds of years of more bricks and less straw, but that God was going to act with mighty acts and with power to release God's people from that empire. God is acting as God is present to release us from the ways that larger dynamics try to tell us a story about humanity that's just shallow, that reduces us, that that convinces us that violence is somehow okay, that convinces us that somehow we can diminish the worth of other people easily and conveniently. God is trying to release us in God's presence from those systems. And the last thing I'll tell you is that we see that in God's presence, God is attentive to both the cosmic, the systems, and also to right here, to our individual needs, that God can hold all of that and everything in between in God's presence. I'm going to give us a moment of reflection and and as you consider the story of what God's presence looks like, what Jesus's presence looks like to Levi, I wonder if there are ways that you need to experience the presence of God the way that Levi experienced Jesus' presence um, in this season of your life. So I want to give us a moment just to reflect on that, um, to ask ourselves, How is it that we need to experience the presence of God in this season? And then we'll sing a song in response.